Blog Talk Radio. Namaste. You are now in the Funk Soul Cafe, a cool, hot, soulful radio show for artists, writers, and so much more, hosted by yours truly, Robert Batista. So sit back, grab a nice, warm, and soulful cup of java or chai, and listen and enjoy. For me, Writing a biography is like reading a good book from the inside out. It really consumes you and takes an incredible amount of time. So you better really love the story you are telling and the people you are writing about. These are the thoughtful words of today's special guest, author R. Scott Williams. Namaste. R. Scott Williams, and welcome to the Funk Soul Cafe. Thank you so much. It's fantastic to be here. I really appreciate you having me on your show. Well, well, well. It's it's fantastic having you and can't wait to, to start. So, of course, we have to first start off by, Scott, taking your Java order. We have a wonderful variety of fine espressos, cappuccinos, and lattes, and we also have herbal teas for those tea lovers. So what's your fancy, Scott? You know, you know, I, I usually just drink black coffee, but since I'm here, I want the most expensive thing on the menu. Well, 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 that would be uh, our quadruple <laughs> ambiotic crazy espresso. So I'm okay, going to go ahead and get that for you and get you definitely riled up. So let me go ahead and get <laughs> that for you. That's perfect. And here you go. Enjoy. Thank you. You're welcome. So, Scott, there is so much to talk about. Let's start off by you giving our audience some background of your fantastic life's journey and how you got to where you are today. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, you know, I'm I'm from down south, down uh, in uh, Memphis, uh, Tennessee is where I'm from. Um, I've uh, majored in journalism at the University of Memphis, um, worked in a variety of advertising agencies and, and uh, companies in marketing and PR, eventually worked for Elvis Presley Enterprises for uh, – about 12 years, 
and from there moved here to Washington, D.C. to work at this fantastic museum, uh, the Newseum, which is a museum of free expression and the First Amendment here in Washington. Um, that, of course, along the way, I, I became interested in history and in recording stories from history that maybe have been forgotten, things that, that uh, you know, that I wanted to put down either in a blog form or, or in a book and, and preserve for, for those who will come after us. This past April 1st, recently, you released your book called An Odd Book, How the First Modern Pop Culture Reporter Conquered New York. Talk about what you did to formally release the book, and how did it go? Sure. Um, you know, uh, as you know, a lot of authors I know listen to your show, and so they'll be familiar with the fact that traditionally um, books uh, were published through um, a publishing company. Oftentimes writers would need an agent, and the agent would pitch the story ideas and um, my first book uh, was about a Memphian named Richard Halliburton, and that was through a traditional uh, publisher. Uh, the challenge is the publishing industry is very much shifting quickly, as has the news industry and um, as did the music uh, publishing industry right. and, and how people right. listen to entertainment, movies. So now – people like myself and you and others who have a story to tell that, that they want to share with people have the, can, can quickly and easily learn the tools if they don't already know them to get their, their books in an e-format or in a print format, a print-on-demand. So um, I released this book because, honestly, uh, nowadays, no, no, most publishing companies don't necessarily want to publish a story about someone that no one's ever heard of. Uh, so um, by, by self-publishing, I was able to take this story and, and get it on um, where people can actually enjoy it. So you are correct. The book launched um, April 1st, and it uh, has done very well. Um, people are buying it on Amazon. Um, the, the opening event is coming up this weekend in Gallipolis, Ohio, so that'll be a lot of fun. And you know the story of Odd McIntyre um, is very interesting to a lot of people who are especially in in radio or in print in journalism in general. So um, there's been a, a really uh, eagerness to talk to me and to help me get Odd's story out there. So why exactly do you call Odd McIntyre the first? modern pop culture reporter. Sure. So the thing about Odd McIntyre is he came along as a as a writer who wrote in the newspaper. He came along at a time when there were great shifts going on in how people were consuming news and information. Honestly, very much like today we're going through, you know, very rapid shifts right. and changes in evolution. So um, before Odd, in, in the years um, before he and his uh, peers were writing, a lot of newspapers were dry and they were written for the elite. Not everyone could afford a newspaper, and so those who could afford you know, wanted to read about politics and very serious issues. By the time Odd came along, 
changes in newspapers were less expensive. A lot of people were moving from the uh, rural farms across America. They were moving into the big cities like New York and Chicago and Atlanta. <clears throat> and so um, by, by drawing upon his Gallipolis, Ohio roots, Odd was able to write in such a way that people who were regular folks could understand him. So um, many of them now living in the cities had extra time to read, so they oftentimes would subscribe to two or three or four newspapers and pick up magazines at the newsstand. And, and radio had not uh, matured yet. There was no TV. And so this is how they got their entertainment, how they got their news. Well, Odd wrote about uh, he wrote about sports. He wrote about food. He wrote, he wrote about all of his experiences in New York with the vaudeville stars, and then later on with the silent film stars. And so, he, but every article, every column that he wrote was packed with every kind of. Um, Every kind of, of story you can imagine from he would just meet someone on the street and write about him to he would go to lunch with Charlie Chaplin and, and write about you know what they experienced. So he truly covered popular culture in a way that nobody ever had before in the past. So that's, that's where I um, came upon the, uh, the, the idea that, that he really was the first modern pop culture reporter. So Odd McIntyre was the highest paid and most read columnist of his era, achieving great fame and fortune, chilled out with the contemporaries like Hemingway, Fred Astaire, Ziegfeld, Will Rogers, Rudolph Valentino, and as you said, Charlie Chaplin. But yet, he is relatively unknown today. Why is that? <clears throat> I think maybe... <laughs> I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he died in 1938. He never, he was never comfortable with radio. Um, he really was more comfortable behind his typewriter and communicating that way. Um, newspaper is oftentimes very, uh, very temporary. And and he even he had he had a quote that he never expected what he wrote to last more than a week. Um, so. I think that, you know, with the resurgence, there's a lot of interest now in the 1920s and the 1930s, and there's a lot of uh, biopics and people reading books about that. I think my hope is that people will um, discover his writing. Of course, my book is a biography about him, and so hopefully – by by reading the biography, they'll be interested, and they'll actually look up, you know, some of his magazine articles and and some of his newspaper columns because those are um, such a unique glimpse into the world of the 1920s and 30s. And that's been an era that I've been uh, very interested in for for decades, and have done a lot of research and have read every book that comes out on it. But I'd never seen it the way that he wrote about it. So um, I do hope that people will will read him and discover why he was so popular and why he was able to reach so many people with his column. Besides reading up on McIntyre's life, what other extensive research did you do for the book? I mean, they didn't call them the Roaring Twenties for nothing. They <laughs> Greta Garbo, Al Capone, Charles Lindbergh, the birth of, of, of prohibition and organized crime, um, supposedly. 
Um, what else was going on that you made sure we knew about in the book? Sure. You know, Odd McIntyre loves the newspapers first and foremost. He he was a he can even though he he had a huge respect for journalists, and even though he wanted to be a journalist, he considered himself a reporter. But he he continued to have great respect for those people that were actually doing you know some hardcore news coverage back in that era. Um, he first began his career in in uh, Ohio, in Dayton, and then in Cincinnati at the Cincinnati Post. And at the time he began as a young man um, in his early 20s at the Post in Cincinnati, there was a – the city had a boss who ruled the town with an iron fist and was actually doing, doing a lot of damage to Cincinnati. They weren't able to modernize uh, like they should, and, and you know there, there was a lot of um, – Areas where the city could have been doing better in education and health care. And, and this is around the time when the whole um, concept of muckrakers began. And so Odd was working there in Cincinnati um, with these amazing men and women who were working together at the newspaper to defeat this boss and to make sure people were aware of what was going behind the scenes. And so for me, that was one of the most fascinating parts of the research and something that I, I did a chapter in the book about. Um, I loved the whole idea of these you know, young people. In, some, some of them were teenagers still and, and in their early 20s and using journalism and photography and illustration and working together on these common causes to, to improve health care, to add playgrounds, to do all these great works in Cincinnati. So working side by side with them is how Odd McIntyre really became to have a love of uh, journalism. Um, another another part to me that was really fascinating was his relationship with early celebrities. So people who were experiencing the kind of fame that we see today for the very first time. So, so in the past, you know, vaudeville stars had to travel around. You had to you had to explore popular music um, on old Victrolas. So, you know, there really wasn't a national popular culture to the extent that there is now. But suddenly, for the first time, when silent films came, people in any city, wherever wherever they were around the United States or around the world even, were able to watch the same movie. And so suddenly the stars that were in those movies became our first celebrities. And so he became close personal friends with many of them. He had a hundred hundred million people would read his column every single day. So if you got wow. your, your name in his column, that was a score. So um, he was he was he was appreciated for that, but then I thought it was interesting that some stars truly liked him. So, for example, he and Rudolph Valentino were close friends, and Rudolph Valentino said, "You know what? It makes me uncomfortable that you think I might be being friends with you because I want my name in your column. So, would you do me a favor and not put my name in your column anymore?" And so he 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 did that, and he didn't put um, uh, Valentino's name in his column until after he had died. So. Um, there's, but there's just tons of stories about him and celebrities. Uh, he was very shy and a little bit backwards when it came to meeting people. And at a at a dinner, um, Joan Crawford, really a very very young Joan Crawford, wanted to meet him in person. And so he uh, was sitting next to her at this dinner, and was so nervous that he never said one single word to her through the entire thing. So. Um, yeah, there's just all kinds of stories about uh, Odd McIntyre and the celebrities of that era.
Yeah, so that probably wasn't really Joan Crawford. It was probably her original name, which I believe was Lucille Lesser. <laughs> that's right. I that's 19, right. I um, actually yeah, learned I that a couple days ago. I think around 1928 she became, quote-unquote, Joan Crawford. But, um, you know, um, Scott, many authors in the beginning look to hone their craft by taking advanced courses in creative writing and or joining various writers' workshops. Now, I know you majored in journalism, so did you ha- just bypass, uh, you know, taking extensive courses because you were a journalism major, or did you go ahead and take more courses? How did that work? I originally, you know, go back, you know, 15 years ago when blogging was new, and I really wanted to be a better writer. Anybody who's in marketing and PR knows it's important to be able to write well. And so blogging was a way that I was able to um, sort of hone that craft. And, you know, the, the nice thing about the era that we all get to live in is there is an endless amount of tools and training online. You can, you know, Google, you know, for those who know that there's a big difference between Associated Press style and Chicago style. And, you know, even for this book, it's it's written in Chicago style, but the press releases and the online things are in AP style. So, you know, I'm constantly Googling you know what? What is the? Where does the period go? How do you do the quotation mark? Where you know what? Where, do you do the? Um, you know the the comma here or there? So it's you know it's we're in a we're in an amazing era where you can try to learn and grow and change, and you don't necessarily have to go take a class at a university or you know you can you can find the tools you need right in front of your computer. Scott, you have graciously agreed to read something for us on this show. Can you set up the piece before you read it? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, you know, I, one of the things, you know, there were a lot of things I read in his writing that um, uh, that I would, you know, put a little star beside or I would underline or I would think, you know, this is important. But there was one in particular, you know, Odd said he didn't think his his writing would last more than – um, a few days, but I do think that he would like to be able to speak to people. Of course, none of us get the opportunity to speak beyond the grave, but writing is the closest thing you can do. So Odd wrote, Odd was sitting next to the, the bedside of a friend who was going to have a surgery, and the, the chances were good that the friend wouldn't survive. It was a risky surgery, and so as he was talking to the person, he began to think about what would he do if he knew this was his last day on the earth. And so he wrote a column about it, and I just found it to be you know, very insightful. But at the same time, it sort of spotlights his unique way of writing and, and some of the reasons why I you know, really found him fascinating. Um, so this is just a little section from his uh, cosmopolitan column that he wrote he wrote and this was in october of 1928 he wrote had i one more day to live i reflected and the courage to carry on without whimpering there were many of whom i should like to ask forgiveness for intentional and unintentional hurts the nature of mankind is to seek forgiveness in final hours it was the last despairing cry of the master And it is probably that only on the brink of eternity most of us become conscious of how silly and useless hate is. 
On my last day, I should like to clasp the hand of every person who has helped me over the rough spots. In the hurry of everyday life, there is a rude casualness in our attitude towards genuine friendship. I should like to recall the many little acts of selfishness toward those so near and dear to me. I should like to blot out useless falsehoods that brought me only misery. What a priceless sense of peace as the shadows fall to be conscious of having tried to give the world as much happiness as it had given me. So I thought that was kind of a nice little piece that he wrote. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that. Um, let's talk about R. Scott Williams, the person. Where did you grow up, and what was your childhood like? Um, you know what? I I grew up um, in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and then in a small town outside of Memphis, and then in Fort Worth, Texas. So um, I traveled around a lot. Um, I would have to say I <clears throat> had as near a perfect childhood as just about anybody could say they had. Um, you know, we lived way out in the country, and we had horses, and and uh, we had uh, trees to climb and fields to run through. And um, so, yeah, I would have to say that uh, that my childhood was was um, hopefully um, as good as the one I've given my uh, my own kids. What were some of the books and authors that inspired you in your youth? Sure. You know, um, I, w- I remember being um, uh, a kid and, and just loving Stephen King. I couldn't uh, get enough of all of Stephen King's books. Um, I read all those. And then, you know, I also liked uh, Mark Twain. I read tons of Mark Twain. I liked anything with a little bit of humor in it. Uh, I liked a little bit of darkness in the stuff that I read. Uh, but I also loved history, even at a really early age. I remember um, checking books out of the library that were about uh, the Civil War, about um, the the presidents. I loved biographies as a kid. I read biographies of all the presidents. Um, never thinking that one day I would be able to write biographies myself. Um, but those were the kind of books that um, that I also loved to draw. And so uh, when I wasn't reading, I would be drawing. I, I loved uh, to to draw as well. Getting back to Odd McIntyre, um, I actually read on your website that he was very shy. And he suffered from social anxiety and depression. Can you give us more detail into that aspect of his life and if it harmed his career in any way? Sure. Um, you know, he first of all, he started off uh, a little bit um, at a disadvantage with the name Odd. Um, it, it immediately made people think maybe he was Odd, uh, and but he was actually named after his mother's um, his mother's brother, so it was his maternal uncle. Um, but Odd was suffering from um, from a disease called pernicious anemia. And while no one you probably know now has it because it's easily treatable, and if people start suffering from the symptoms, they can get treatment really quickly. Um, but at the time, no one really knew what it was, and so um, it, it eventually it starts to eat away at your uh, tissues and organs, and and eventually it does kill you. 
But the symptoms were depression, hallucinations, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. And so he suffered from all those as well as dramatic weight loss. But he continued to work and he continued his career until eventually he did die in 1938 at the age of 54. Um, but the, 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 one does have to wonder, you know, everything happens for a reason. So did it harm his career or did it in some – did it somehow – was it because of this that he was able to have his career? He was in in he was before he became famous. He was overwhelmed with depression, couldn't even get out of bed. And his wife said, "You know, when you write those letters back home to our friends and family in Gallipolis, um, you seem to feel better. And so, why don't you start writing a letter and I'll mail it out to newspapers around the country, and it'll be a column." And so that motivated him enough to start writing, and that that inspiration got him out of bed and it got him out on the streets and that's where he started seeing things that he would write about in the letter every day and eventually one thing led to another and he ended up working um, on uh, Tin Pan Alley doing PR for a lot of the early uh, music publishers and the singers and the dancers and that led him to work for Florence Ziegfeld uh, as a publicist for a couple of years and eventually he was able to build his career but he stayed behind the typewriter. That's where he always went back to. He didn't transition into radio. He didn't become a celebrity himself. His illness, in a lot of ways, kept him behind the typewriter, doing what he was doing, and that sort of that sort of contributed to him becoming who who he was. Um, you know, he also had enemies. He he wasn't you know beloved by everyone in the world. A lot of uh, a lot of people thought that not a lot, but uh, you know some of the other uh, more uh, writers who wrote who wrote more serious journalism you know thought of him as more of a joke. And you know the Algonquin Roundtable crowd, for example, he didn't like them and they didn't like him. And so there was a bit of a war um, that went on between him and some of the some some of those type writers. So um, you know, so it definitely contributed contributed to the person that he eventually became and to the to the celebrity he eventually became but one can never tell if he hadn't been sick would he maybe not have um become famous at all yeah that's a good point um let's talk a little bit about your first book the forgotten adventures of richard halliburton from tennessee to timbuktu who was richard halliburton and what made you decide to write about his forgotten adventures? Sure. Rich, Richard Halliburton um, was from my um, hometown of Memphis, and he uh, eventually became a explorer and an adventurer, and he would write about what he experienced in the, in the 20s and 30s. He would write books and magazine articles and newspaper articles to fund his other adventures. Writing for him was more of just um, a means to an end because he loved to travel all over the world, and it was a time when Americans were learning about the rest of the world, and they were curious about what was happening in other countries. So he, he would he would do fantastic stunts. He he swam across the Panama Canal. He was the first person to do that. He he loved airplanes and he flew and um, he was just a fascinating um, a fascinating person. And I actually started writing about him because we are from the same um, area, and that's what my blog was about. And a publisher read what I had written about him and emailed me and said, would you be interested in doing a book about him? So I dove in, and the rest is history. 
When I was a wee, wee, wee bit of a child, my mother took me to see a movie called Jailhouse Rock with Elvis Presley. So there's another amazing part of your former life that I'd like to talk about. You're sure. working for Elvis Presley Enterprises. How did that come about? And can you give us any insight into the, how the Elvis estate worked at that time? Sure. Um, I w- had been doing a lot of work um, with an, in digital healthcare, and this was a time when there wasn't um, there wasn't a lot of uh, folks working in that area, and and also in marketing and digital marketing, how people experience you know just different brands online, and so that that's pretty much what they were looking for at Elvis Presley Enterprises, and so basically I answered an ad and I went in and applied and and thankfully got the job and. Uh, began working there and worked there 12 years. It's a fantastic organization. A lot of wow. amazing people worked there, both welcoming Elvis fans and tour and travel um, folks from all over the world to visit Graceland and to celebrate Elvis. There were a lot of uh, fantastic things we did, like an Elvis cruise and an ultimate Elvis tribute artist contest and we had Elvis Week every year in August, which they still have, and everybody should try to go um, in mid-August. Right. Um, but it was it was um, really an experience that I will be grateful for um, for the rest of my life. It really um, there's just absolutely nothing that compares um, to Elvis and to to the Elvis fans, the Elvis fans from around the world. Who you know, there's there's millions of Elvis fans around the world who have a passion for Elvis and his music and his movies and um, so it was really just a fantastic um, uh, life experience. Yeah, there's there are a lot of celebrities, and I guess Elvis being at the top of the list, like Marilyn Monroe and and others, uh, maybe even John Lennon, who are more popular now since they deceased than they were in in life, and and that, like you said, that Elvis machine just keeps rolling up, from what I hear. Um, anyway, let's talk about what I call the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and that is marketing. Um, Mm -hmm. Scott, so many authors spend so much time writing and publishing their book but have no clue on how and what it entails to market it. How do you handle the publicizing and marketing of your books? Sure. Uh, I mean, I'm fortunate enough that I live in a time where I started – uh, marketing back when there there was no internet, so I, I learned some of the old-fashioned uh, skills that you need to apply. I think the most important thing is to know who your audience is going to be. Um, what 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 kind of book are you writing, and who would want to r- read your book? And you need to be able to put it in a couple of a couple of short paragraphs. You need to be able to have an elevator speech that you can explain what your book is about. And and in both writing nowadays, you know, you have to be able to put it in such a way so that it includes words that people are going to be searching for. Then figure out which tools there's an endless supply of tools that we all get to use as as both individuals or as marketers. And you have to figure out of all those tools that you could use, which are going to give you the biggest return on the investment. So for me, for example, you know, you can go to an oddbook.com and you can see at the bottom I have a, a link to all my social networks. I focused on uh, Instagram and Twitter 
and Facebook and my website. For more than any other reason, I wanted people to experience for themselves Odd McIntyre's work. So on Instagram, I can put pictures of the things he talked about. On Twitter, on Odd's Twitter account, I've, I've gone through and found – the, the, the nice thing about Odd is he wrote in little short sentences, and so a lot of what he wrote makes perfect tweets. So I've set up the account so that every day, multiple times a day, some days, Odd tweets. And so you get tweets from Odd McIntyre that he actually wrote <laughs> in the early 20s, but they make yeah. sense today. Yeah, that, and it brilliant. blew my mind how much the things that he wrote about – are relevant all these all these decades almost a hundred years ago late that they're still exactly. relevant they're still interesting every Friday another blog comes out from from odds writing so I, I took a, you know some of his columns and articles and and put them in a blog so every Friday another article comes out and you know a lot of people have been discovering his writing and you know, I, I want, of course, I want people to to buy and enjoy my book. But more than anything, I want them to discover this fascinating writer who wrote in such a way that I've never seen anyone duplicate. And so, you know, more than anything, I I felt like the social media tools, the online digital tools, those things were um, for that purpose. And and hopefully that will lead them to want to learn more about him. Then also, the the traditional it still makes sense for me. My audience is obviously going to be people who uh, enjoy the 20s and 30s and enjoy history. Through research, I discovered there's a magazine called Zelda Magazine, which, as you can imagine, is uh, about the 20s and the 30s. So I bought a um, an ad in that magazine. Um, I have found, because uh, Odd was from Ohio, that I've received an incredible, incredible response from – Radio stations, bloggers, newspapers in Ohio who want to write about somebody who is from their state. So that's been um, a really helpful tool just to send – just to email a press release and say this is um, what, what the book is about. And if someone doesn't know how to, to, to write a press release, thankfully, you just Google – Sample press releases, and you can you can you can write a press release. I mean, it's not that difficult. If I can do it, it's not that difficult. So, um, those are just some of the tools. The other thing, if you've got a book, bookstores, and and of course there are less and less bookstores, but you can look for restaurants. Or if you're writing a book that has a Western theme, you know, find a, a writing club and and have an event with that audience, and then take pictures of everything and put it out on social. Um, you know, I've also got you know I've got a, a really strong uh, group of friends who also um, have been letting people know about my book, and so you know I set up an e-newsletter, and um, I have a, a group of friends that I text, and as we text, um, you know they'll they'll turn around and share information about my book out with their friends. And, and you know, I, I want to say that I am definitely a 1920s buff, but my slant is how prohibition basically gave birth to basically organized crime and the bootleggers and Capone and all that, that we still feel the repercussions today of, of, of that. And uh, that's something that uh, I, I may delve more research into because that has always piqued my interest about the 20s. Uh, uh, of course, Hollywood and, and everything else. And I love the pictures that you have on the odd website, those old pictures from the 20s. They, they are so fascinating. 
for me to watch. So um, in closing, Scott, talk a little bit about what you do at your current job as the chief operating officer of the museum in Washington, D.C. And what is the museum exactly? Sure, absolutely. So the museum is a museum of the the First Amendment and freedom of expression. We're here on Pennsylvania Avenue. We're, I'm looking out the window right now. I'm looking at um, our nation's capital. How so we're sweet. right here. We're, we're, we're right here between the Capitol and the White House. So um, as um, as everybody is going back and forth to work, they have to look right up here on our building and see um, the First Amendment to the Constitution on the side of our building. So we're all about the five freedoms. We champion journalists. We champion uh, freedom fighters. We we champion those people who have taken their rights and have worked hard so that everyone can have freedom. So we have a section in our museum on civil rights. Of course, um, you know this is the 50th anniversary of some some really strong uh, moments in in the movement. We also have the largest section of the Berlin Wall in the United States. We have the top of the radio antenna from the World Trade Center. So it's just an amazing. Wow experience uh, if anybody's coming to Washington DC um they they absolutely have to um plan for a trip here to the museum to to check it out definitely definitely i'm glad i asked you that question so um what's next for our scott williams um a novel perhaps uh maybe a book on your experiences working for elvis enterprises um what other irons do you have in the fire coming up? You know, my my uh, wife and kids are always trying to get me to do a a novel, but but I I find that for me personally, you know, the books are are sort of my version of golf. That's what I do instead of golfing, and I love the research part as much as the. Um, as much as the the actual writing, and I love researching real people. I love writing about real people, and I love trying to get the information just right. So for me, it's a lot about reporting almost. Um, it's um, it's it's a way that my mind can relax and unwind. And so you know, I've got there's a couple of historic moments that I'm that I'm considering writing about i just have to finish finish letting everybody know about this book and then i can get started on the next one at some point i would like to write a book about colonel parker who was elvis's manager oh and the way yeah that he used, yeah the way he used pr and <laughs> marketing back master. then yeah i think that would master. be a hit <laughs> that's right i think a lot of people would read that book i know i would <laughs> definitely so um Scott, give out any contact information, websites, and uh, your Twitter handle and how people can contact you or follow you. Sure. Um, if you go to anoddbook.com, you'll find it all. It's all there. Um, sign up for the e-newsletter. Follow me on Twitter. Um, all of the links are there. And an odd book is what I use for everything. So Facebook, it's facebook.com slash an odd book. Instagram is slash an odd book. So, yeah, I would love everyone to follow me. This has been the Funk Soul Cafe with me. Robert Batista. One of the easiest ways to peer into my soul is to download and read my free microstory called My Baby Has No Name on Smashwords.com. My guest has been author, historian, 
COO, and so much more. Our Scott Williams and his just released book is called An Odd Book How the First Modern Pop Culture Reporter Conquered New York. Make sure you order your copy today. I will close with an ancient proverb. They thought they could bury us. They didn't know we were seeds. Thank you so much, Scott, for being my guest on the Funk Soul Cafe. Thank you. Bye now.